Praise the Lord. This morning, Father, we thank you as you have given us this special message to preach, Lord, to the church. Rise and be healed on this great Mother's Day that we celebrate. And we thank you for that privilege that we're able to speak your heart through our lips. That our ears might hear what the Lord would say to us. I pray your blessing upon each one. I pray, Lord, as this word goes forth, that healing will take place in the hearts of women, especially in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In Luke chapter 11, verse 11, if a son shall ask bread of any of you that's a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I look at this verse as I speak this word that the Lord has given me for this Mother's Day. And I look at it and I say to myself, God desires to give to his children like a mother would give to her son or daughter. God desires to give to his children. And this morning I pray that what God has to offer you, that you will receive. You see, because I believe there's an assault upon women. I believe there's assault against women. And I believe it began in the book of Genesis chapter 3. And I'd like to read a number of verses to you to set the foundation for this sermon. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Verse 7. And the eyes of them that were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee that thou shalt not eat? 
And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly thou shalt go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Till thou return unto the ground, for out of it was taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because... She was the mother of all living. Genesis is the book of beginnings. And whenever you have an issue or a problem, you could probably go back to the book of Genesis and find the answer. When you look, when Eve and Adam sinned before God, the blame game that's so prevalent in marriage, that's so prevalent in relationship, the woman you gave me, the serpent made me do it. The blame game started there. People not taking responsibility for each other. People becoming irresponsible and not accountable to God's law. And then we have the curse upon the woman in childbearing and in conception. And then we have the Bible that says, And her desire shall be toward thy husband. And that word desire was the power and control. And again, if you go back to the book of Genesis, it's the power and the control that a lot of times women try to exact upon the man and the struggle begins in the marriage. The woman gets angry and the man becomes passive and the rejection sets in and all of that stuff began in the Garden of Eden. And so the assault came upon women and it became upon men. And it's so prevalent in marriages, especially today, even in the church. So where do we go from here, Pastor? Well, let's back up for a moment. The name Eve means life giver. But her name also has other meanings. Her name means to declare or to show. Her name means to revive and to nourish. Her name means to preserve and to quicken. Her name means to recover and repair. Her name means to restore and make whole. So what's God saying here? Through the born-again experience and through the power of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit that God gives us, all of a sudden, God took Eve and took Adam and said, I can restore you. And not only can I restore you, but I can use you, especially women, to restore your children. Because what does a woman do? A woman declares, 
A woman shows the love of God. A woman revives her family. A woman nourishes her family. A woman desires to preserve and quicken her family. A a woman desires to help a child recover when they go through a difficult moment of a sickness or something. A woman is there to repair. A woman is there to restore. A woman is there to make whole. When a child falls down, the child says, I want my mommy. I want my mommy. Why? Because it's that mother's love and that mother's nurturing that is so important in the child's life. Satan violated Eve in the garden and caused her at that moment to commit spiritual adultery and sin against God. That was a grievous happening. It was a catastrophic happening in the kingdom of God. It just threw everything out of order. It threw the Garden of Eden out of order. It caused Adam to be thrown out of the garden that he was supposed to manage and he became irresponsible as the husband. They were both thrown out of the garden. And man was desolate, trying to hide behind a tree and tried to hide from God. But again, through the born-again experience, God said, I can redeem the situation. Since that event in the garden where the serpent approached Eve, I believe women have become vulnerable. And I believe it's because of this. Women must, be, uh, must sense and be aware of the crafty nature of the enemy. Because that enemy is a snake that wants to come into the garden of their soul. And that enemy wants to come not only into the garden of their soul, but come into their family to destroy their family. He wants to beguile women in general. And women need to be sensitive to the machinations and the schemes of the enemy that would cause them to become downcast as females. There's a war against women because there's an hostility that exists between the enemy, Satan, and women. It's an intense hatred because the enemy is mad that Christ and the redemptive plan of God came through the seed of the woman. The first prophecy of the coming of the Lord was in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. When the Lord spoke and said, I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Satan was saying it's on. God prophetically spoke and said Christ would come through the line and through the woman. Through the womb of that woman, God would place the power of God, the Holy Spirit, and place that child into Mary's womb. And ever since that prophecy was given, the enemy tried to destroy the line that Jesus would come through. But he also desired to assault women because he hates women. When you look at the word enmity, this is what it says. Look at what it says. I will put enmity. That means hostility. That means hatred. It means to hate. It means Satan is saying, I am your enemy and I'm going to cause your downfall if it's the last thing I do in this world. If you look at the statistics and you look at the things that happen against women, especially depression and all of these other emotional situations that happen to women, it's because there's an assault on women by the enemy of your soul. Women are important. Because they are important in the kingdom of God. 
Psalm 127 and verse 3 says this, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Let me take a moment to explain this verse because it's so easy to just get by it as you read it. When you look at the word, it says this, children are a heritage of who? Of the Lord. And the word heritage means possession, property, or inheritance. Which means that every time a child is born, it's the property of God. Every time a child is born, it's God's possession that He allows you to have for a season. It's God's inheritance. That's what that word means in Hebrew. And then it says, Though children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit is His reward. Whose reward? His reward. And what does that mean? The produce, the harvest, the offspring. God has an intentional investment in every child that's born into the world. Because He's saying that child is mine. He's saying that's my offspring. That's my reward. That's my wage. That's my pay for having someone to have a conception in their womb. When that child comes forth, God says, it's my possession. Hmm. Because of what? Because, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. The womb is where life begins. I don't care what the Supreme Court says. I don't care what politicians say. When that egg is fertilized, that's a life that's within the womb of the mother. That's just the bottom line. And 60 million babies after who have been murdered in their mother's womb, 60 million, and you don't think there's an assault upon women and the dignity of women and the respect of women and the integrity of women, just do a study on what happens to women in general who abort a child. The depression, the anguish, the guilt, the shame, the condemnation. I thank God so much for Jesus that He takes away our sin. He doesn't just cover our sin, but He takes away our sin and the stain of that sin and puts it in the sea of forgetfulness. But I feel so sorry for so many women who have had that situation done in their life And have never known the forgiveness of Almighty God. It's been said that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And women rock that cradle. And what they transmit to that little baby will determine the influence of that child on society, whether sinful or spiritual. Look what it says in verse 4. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man... So are the children of the youth. Let me give you four things about arrows. Arrows propel. Mothers need to propel their children to future spirituality in Christ. You hold the bow that shoots the arrow. And if you take the bow out of the hands of a woman... Their children will wander aimlessly. I didn't hear, you didn't hear what I just said. Arrows propel. And mothers need to propel their children to the future spiritually. 
take the bow out of the hand of the mother that's shooting the arrow, which is the child, and that child will, aim, will go aimlessly and wander in the world without purpose and cause. Arrows are aimed. Mothers need to aim their children in the right direction. And that comes through a mother's wisdom and knowledge. Arrows penetrate. We must train our children to penetrate darkness with the light of life. Penetration into darkness tells me that mothers teach their children perseverance and endurance and pressing into the presence of God when darkness comes upon them. Arrows shoot and they shoot beyond the shooter. The mother is the shooter. But the arrows shoot beyond the mother. And when mothers are gone, the arrows will continue in flight. They will deliver the spiritual prosperity of the mother to the future, to the next generation. Hear what I'm saying this morning. Arrows propel, arrows aim, arrows penetrate, and arrows shoot. Unfortunately, many arrows have been broken and abused and abandoned and misfired. And this is why Jesus has commissioned the church to fulfill Mark chapter 10, verse 13. And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Amen. It's very interesting that Jesus spoke these verses right after he was speaking about divorce. Read it in your Bible, in Mark chapter 10. He spoke about divorce, and then right after that, he spoke about bringing the little children to him. He knew that many would receive pain through the separation of a husband and a wife. He knew that many little boys and girls would be destroyed He knew that the image of marriage would be destroyed in their lives. And Jesus intended to heal them and to help them. And he said, suffer the little children to come unto me. Bring the children. And who are the children? Some victims. Some were abused. Some with severe problems in those days. As it is today. He says, bring the little children. And today more than ever, as we see divorce climbing, And as we see the statistics that tell us that there's more divorce in the church than in the secular world, we have a mandate from God to bring the children unto the Lord. The word touch, they said, he said, suffer the children to come unto me and forbid them not for such is the kingdom of God. And what did Jesus do? That he should touch them. What does that mean? The word touch means to set on fire, to kindle and to give light. I want to read something to you that I wrote in my doctoral thesis many years ago. And it says this, What is the Lord saying to us through this word touch? When a mother brings a little child to Jesus and asks Him to touch that child, a marvelous thing takes place. It's Jesus who begins that initial burning in their hearts, who kindles that first fire, and who turns on the first light in their hearts. It is Jesus who fastens himself to to their heart as little children. It's the touch of Jesus that sets everything spiritual in life that is worthwhile in motion. He's the Alpha, the beginning, that sets our hearts on fire for His love. 
We must bring our children to Jesus that the master might touch them and begin a song in their heart. The church is mandated to restore and to renew and to revive those that walk through the doors. Jesus touched the little children and He has commanded us to touch the children as well spiritually. Haven't you heard? She has a mother's touch. And that touch soothes and calms and comforts a child. We must allow Jesus to heal. We must touch those whose childhood has brought them pain. I'd like to recite a verse from the book of Job chapter 11 in the ESV version and it says this, Surely, then you will lift up your face without blemish. You will be secure and you will not fear. You will forget your misery. You will remember it as waters that have passed away. And your life will be brighter than the noonday. Its darkness will be like the morning. And you will feel secure because there is hope. You will look around and take your rest in security. You will lie down and none will make you afraid. Many will court your favor. God's desire is to heal women especially. God's desire is to heal the little children that have been abused and abandoned and left for dead. He will restore and He will allow you to experience a healthy childhood again. He is the God that will give you hope. He desires to restore the sexually abused with a partner that will not make them afraid. Let me say that again. He desires to restore the sexually abused to a partner that will not make them afraid. Healing only takes place through Christ. Amen. Others who are sick, others who are abused, those that are broken arrows will come to us for healing and restoration. And ministry will be born through God's grace and goodness. Rise and be healed is our victory song for those who have been broken and left for dead. Yes. You have no idea who sits in a church. Many years ago, my wife and I were in a meeting in Pennsylvania. And there was 500 ministers and their wives that were attending this particular meeting. And there was a doctor there who was severely abused as a child, beaten with a rubber hose and all sorts of machinations of the enemy against him. And he was giving his testimony. And he showed a film of the beautiful houses up in New England. And as the film was showing the beautiful homes one after another, he said, do you have any idea what could be happening in some of those beautiful homes? Because we think when we pass those beautiful homes, everything is good. Oh, look at those people. Look at the garden. Look at the landscape. Look at the trees. Look at the flowers. But what about the people that live in those homes? Do you suspect that any are abused? Do you suspect that, suspect that many, some of them have been left for dead? Do you think everything is just so colorful and neat and organized because you see the semblance of a home from the outside, but we don't know what's going on in the inside? And as he was speaking, he gave a challenge to the audience and he asked any ministers or their wives who were abused in one way or another as children to stand to their feet in the sanctuary with courage. And I saw hundreds of people stand. You see, I was a naive pastor. I thought that everyone that came to church loved God. 
I thought that everyone, when I first started, that came to church, had it all together. Come on. And when I started to see that, and I saw men and women crying and weeping, standing, acknowledging that they were abused as a child, and they were ministering, they were pastors and wives, I said to myself, this is a new dawning and a new day. When I went to work at the home for children in Auburn, again, being a naive pastor, began to see the wounds and the devastation Come on. that took place in the lives of little children at a young age. Yes, sir. Come on. And that naive feeling that I had and that naive outlook quickly vanished and tarnished from my life, realizing that the bruised live among us. Amen. And sometimes the bruised sit in our churches right. secretly and quietly and in desperation don't know what to do with that bruising. And Jesus says, except we become like little children, we cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And sometimes it's very difficult, even for an adult that has a child on the inside, to step forward and say, I need healing in the name of Jesus. I need healing from what happened to me in my childhood. Amen. Come on. Being a counselor and a minister and a chaplain, I've had people confide in me for the first time in their life concerning a violation to their body. And said, I've never told anyone in my life and you're the first person. I knew a man for 20 years stuffed it, was his secret, and finally came to me as a chaplain and said, chaplain, I need to tell you something that I've never told anyone. 20 years, 20 years, he put it out of his mind, tried to deny it, tried to make believe it didn't go away. I've had young girls, women that I've counseled, who were violated as youngsters at five and six and seven years old, and the enemy of their soul made them think that it was their fault. Mom. That it was their fault that this man did some heinous crime to them. Think about it. Think about the assault on women in our country this morning. The Bible tries to tell us in Ezekiel 16 and 4 and from the message version. And this is healing for women, especially this morning because I'm preaching on Mother's Day. And I believe this is a special message to females and women. It says in Ezekiel 16 and 4, On the day you were born, your umbilical cord was not cut. You were, weren't bathed and, and cleaned up and you weren't rubbed with salt. You weren't wrapped in a baby blanket. No one cared a fig for you. No one did one thing to care for you tenderly in these ways. You were thrown out into a vacant lot and left there, dirty and wa unwashed, a newborn nobody wanted. And then I came by, and I saw you all miserable and bloody. Yes, I said to you, lying there helpless and filthy, live. Grow up like a plant in the field, and you did. You grew up. 
You grew tall and matured as a woman, full-breasted with flowing hair. But you were naked and vulnerable and fragile and exposed. And I came by again and saw you. And I saw that you were ready for love and a lover. And I took care of you and dressed you and protected you. I promised you my love. And I entered the covenant of marriage with you. I, God, the Master, gave my word. You became mine. In verse 9, I gave you a good bath, washing off all that old blood and anointed you with aromatic oils. I dressed you in a colorful gown and put leather sandals on your feet. I gave you linen blouses and a fashionable wardrobe of expensive clothing. I adorned you with jewelry. I placed bracelets on your wrist. I fitted you with a necklace, emerald rings and sapphire earrings and a diamond tiara. You were provided with everything precious and beautiful, with exquisite clothes and elegant food, garnished with honey and oil. You were absolutely stunning. You were a queen. And that's what a woman should be in our homes. A queen. Go ask a Jewish husband. Sit down with a Jewish husband that loves his wife. That man will crawl to Alaska if his wife requested it. Because his one goal in life as a Jewish husband is to make his wife happy. It's uncanny. The love that a Jewish husband has for his wife. She is the queen of the home. She is the queen of the home. What is God saying here? What happened in the Garden of Eden? Eve was uncovered. Eve became dirty. Eve became bloody in a sense. And so did we when we were born from our mother's womb because we were born in sin. And our sin was not covered until we came to Christ. But God can cover what Satan Satan uncovered in Eve in the Garden of Eden. He can cover whatever Satan uncovered in your life. It's His desire to call you, whether you are a child or a woman, adult in pain. You must heed the call of the Master. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 11, it says this, And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together. And then can no wise lift up herself. And when she saw Jesus, when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid hands on her. And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Listen, no matter what you've been through, no matter what your past has been, God wants to come and marry you. God wants to come and cover you. God wants to give you new clothes and jewelry. God wants to give you food that's garnished. God wants to give you a robe of righteousness and shoes upon your feet and ring upon your finger. God wants to cover what Satan uncovered in your life. Come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And that holds true for all of us. Amen. You see this woman in Luke 11? Luke 13, excuse me, beginning with verse 11. She was crippled. There's a lot of women that are walking around the earth crippled. And I believe there's a lot of Christian women in our churches that are still crippled. Because they've not allowed God to completely cover their lives. Well, their sins are forgiven. But the pain and the bruise and the violations 
still exist. And they're still there. Until we allow God to come and take away (coughs) that pain and that abuse. You see, this woman that was bowed over was crippled. But Jesus spoke to her and said, to get up. You see, Jesus will challenge your limitations, whether they are physical or emotional. No excuses. Whether you are broken or bowed over. He's calling you. He will speak a message to you. And you will survive. It's those that go into their shell. It's those that say, I I, I can't deal with the tears. I can't deal with the pain. It's those that that make excuses. and And I can't come to Jesus today because it's too painful. Well, will you come tomorrow? Oh, will you come the next day? And how many years has it been? That you've been bowed over and you've been crippled in your heart physically or emotionally or spiritually, but you've never allowed Jesus to make you straight. Come on, preach it. Hallelujah. And we walk around mm. with those cripplings. We walk around as Jesus tries to speak the message and say, Stand up straight. The Master is here. Woman, the daughter of Abraham, you've been bowed over for 18 years. But I speak to you this morning, he says. And Jesus says, stand up straight. Thou art healed. Come on. Now last week, I taught you about Tamar. And this isn't a long sermon this morning, but I want to bring it full circle. The last two sermons plus this one go hand in hand. And in 2 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 10, And Amnon said unto Tamar, Bring the meat into the chamber, that I may eat of thine hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. And when she had brought them unto him to eat, he took hold of her and said unto her, Come lie with me, my sister. And she answered him and said, Nay, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not thou this folly. And I whither shall I cause my shame to go? And as for thee, thou shalt be as one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, speak unto the king, for he will not withhold me from thee. She tried to stall a violation. He wouldn't listen. Howbeit he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. The difference between lust and love. The difference between lust and love. What was the consequence of that act? 2 Samuel 13, 17. Then he called his servant that ministered unto him and said, Put now this woman out from me and bolt the door after her. And she had a garment of divers clothes upon her. And I explained to you last week the clothes that a virgin wore in Israel were particular attire 
that marked their virginity. But she took those clothes, for with such robes were the king's daughters that were, give, that were virgins apparelled. Then his servant brought her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garment. She started to rip the sleeves, signifying, I am no longer a virgin. I have been violated. And Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garment of divers clothes that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went on crying. And Absalom, her brother, said unto her, Hath Amnon thy brother been with thee? He knew the behavior of his brother. Behold now thy peace, my sister. He is thy brother. Regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. That's the same thing that happens today to women who are violated. Keep it quiet. Don't go to the police station. Don't report it because they'll blame you and they'll say, you wanted that to happen. Come on, preach it. I'm so sick and tired of society being politically correct. People on the left can stand up and make their statements. But we on the other side of the river make our statements and we're called names. Women have rights. And not only by the Constitution of the United States, but their rights were given, praise God, at the cross of Jesus Christ as the blood of Christ was spilled on Calvary. Many a child has been maimed. Many a child has been violated. And many a child will never recover because they'll never hear about the love of Jesus Christ and the love of God. Absalom played the role. Don't say anything. He's your brother. Oh yeah, two years later he killed Amnon. He committed murder. Because he allowed his bitterness and his hatred to well up in him to cause a heinous act. When David the father, according to the Old Testament, should have taken care of Amnon immediately. But he did not. And when we don't discipline our children, the waywardness begins because the arrow doesn't shoot in the direction it's supposed to go spiritually when we don't do it according to God's word. Let me bring this thought to you. What does the word Tamar mean? It actually means palm tree. Follow me here for a few minutes. I want to show you a contrast between the woman in Luke 13 who was bowed over and Jesus healed her as opposed to Tamar. Now, a terrible thing happened to her. There's no doubt. I'm not minimizing that violation. But Tamar means palm tree. And let's look at the history of palm trees. Palm trees endure. Palm trees survive stress. Palm trees survive strain and pressure. You see, the tree will bend over even in a terrible windstorm, but it will not break usually. Their roots go down deep into the ground because the palm tree finds water. It's not like a pine tree whose roots are close to the ground, but a palm tree, its roots will sink deep into the ground and will look for water, and it's rooted. That's why you see those trees and during hurricane times in different states and they're swaying, they're bending almost perpendicular to the floor, parallel to the ground. But when the windstorm is over, the palm tree stands straight up again, as green as could be, all four seasons, winter, spring, summer, and fall. 
the palm tree remains festive. In this passage, the enemy came to destroy Tamar through rape, incest, abuse, molestation, verbal, and physical abuse. (coughs) Tamar was taken in by her brother. Tamar, no doubt, was shattered. She was frightened. She was a bruised flower. Her virginity destroyed. She was bowed over. She could not lift herself. She felt unwanted, a throwaway. But she had a choice to either survive and thrive or choose bitterness and desolation for the rest of her life. Her name means palm tree. And even though a heinous act happened to her, she still had a choice to receive God's healing or choose bitterness and desolation for the rest of her life. You see, the word desolate means to stun. She was stunned. It means to grow numb. It means loss of feelings, loss of emotions. It means to devastate another human being. It means to stupefy them. And no doubt this described Tamar. But instead of choosing to be the palm tree that her name signified, instead of choosing healing, even though a heinous act was acted upon her, she chose bitterness and desolation for the rest of her life. That's the difference between the woman in Luke 13 who was bowed over for 18 years and was sick and tired of being sick and tired and finally got up and said, God, I need some help. And God said, you're restored and you're healed in the name of Jesus Christ. But Tamar decided, unfortunately, not to be the palm tree she was named after. But she allowed herself to become numb, emotionless, And lose her feelings. And I submit to you this morning. That I've met many people in my lifetime. Even people. Who say they're Christians. And I don't doubt their Christianity. Who fit the description. Of being numb. Stunned. Who don't have feelings. Like they should. Who experience loss of emotion who've been devastated and stupefied by some act of the past. And inside their heart, even though they love God, there's a struggle and there's a war as the assault of Satan continues against them day and night, day and night, day and night. Never to be relieved. Even though Jesus cries out as he did in the book of Job and in the book of Ezekiel, that I want to cover what Satan uncovered in your life. I want to close with a little story in the book of Acts. Rise and be healed is the sermon title. In Acts chapter 3, now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame, lame, from his mother's womb, crippled at birth, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Never walked, never rode a bicycle, never went down to the lake to fish with his father, 
who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately by his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. This man, like the woman in the book of Luke chapter 13, as opposed to Tamar, decided, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I want to walk. I haven't walked since birth. I want to walk. I don't want to be a cripple. I want to go to work. I want to do something. I want to go fishing by the lake. I want to be on my own two feet. And Jesus said, through Peter and John, rise up and be healed in the name of Jesus. What's crippling you? What's crippling you? What's got you bowed over? What's got you looking for loose change on the ground? What is it that God wants to cover in your life that Satan uncovered? What is it that's unpleasant in your life that God wants to make whole again? It's time to get up. It's time to stand up. It's not time to hide. It's not time to stay home. It's not time to isolate. It's not time to abandon. It's time that we feel. It's time that we cry. It's time that the ministry of tears takes place in the house of God. It's time to face our giants. It's time to look at the devil square in the eye and say in the name of Jesus Christ, I will rise up and be healed in the name of my God. People are running from their feelings. They're trying to be numb. They're trying to deny their feelings. They're stupefied. And they don't even know the enemy, the machinations, is defeating them and destroying them day in and day out. And they stay the same their whole life. And that's the way they'll die and go to the grave. Never allowing God or God's people to help them overcome the pain or the abuse that's taking place in their heart. If you look at the progression of this man as I close, it's time to walk, it's time to leap, it's time to worship and praise, and it's time to rise and be healed. There's no doubt in my mind that there's an assault, especially on women, around the world, in our country, in our homes, There's an assault on little children. As you well know. And it's time that we as a church address some of the issues more intensely and intently. And those children that darken the doors of this church to give them healthy love and a spiritual touch. Because none of us know where they've been. And none of us know what they've experienced. And the same holds true for adults. You never know who you're talking to. You never know who you're speaking to. It's time to love. I said it's time to love. It's time to embrace our brothers and sisters. And it's time to show our children that through Christ, no matter what has happened to us, 
God can give us a cloak of covering through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and put a robe upon us that's not stained or blemished, but that not only covers, but takes away the pain and the abuse and the anguish and the nightmarish experiences, especially of childhood. God bless you, and thank you for listening.